Alright everyone, gather around by the fire. I'm Seth, actually, and I'm going to read you another all-in Christmas story this year. Uh, 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 actually, Seth, um, since since you kind of did it last year, I was kind of thinking maybe I could be the one to read the story this year. But, but I have the Santa beard. Yeah, but I have the word storyteller literally tattooed on my arm. Yeah, you know what? That's fair. Go, go ahead, man. Go for it. Oh, well, thank you. <clears throat> I'm the Eric of Christmas Future, and I'm going to read you an all-in Christmas story this year. <sighs> Twas the morning of Christmas. It's time, once again. Season's greetings from us, your friends, at All In. We look forward all year, and it's gone in a snap, but there's presents and Nintendo news to unwrap. So pour some cocoa with marshmallows and a sweet candy cane and a holiday indie showcase that might drive you insane. A retro RPG with, uh, relative cheer. It's Cthulhu Saves Christmas from Zeboid Games this year. There were huge Nintendo anniversaries, so many, and yet, there are so many more that some just seem to forget. In the top five, we'll remember the birthdays some don't. We can't close this year without celebrating and we won't. But what's Christmas Day without a movie to watch and relax and seal Neil Patrick Harris on HBO Max? In the 80s, a new NES topped our Christmas wish list. This year, we've got 8-bit Christmas to help reminisce. So, let's start the show and let me say it again. Merry Christmas to all. It's time to go all in. Christmas, Seth. Merry Christmas, Eric, and Merry Christmas to all of you from your friends here at All In and Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, even on Christmas Day, no mm -hmm. shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned. Man, Christmas Day. What a what a great day. I you know, last year it's a little bit different this year. It hits different this year. Because last year I think we did it, it was what, the day before or the day no, it was the mm -hmm. day after Christmas last year that the episode yeah aired. yeah 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 so now it's kind of nice because now you know you, you got an episode going live on christmas day you gotta go big you gotta blow it up christmas themed segments big christmas special of all in um but before we get into all of the stuff we have planned for you guys this week on the show i did have a new five-star review to shout out eric <gasps> it's a christmas yes. miracle seth <laughs> Yes, somebody gave us a Christmas present of a five-star review on iTunes, just like you can. And uh, this comes from Lockleth on iTunes. And Lockleth says, easy and great listen. New listener and love the latest episode from December 18th. So that's last week's episode. So yay, we got a new listener. Welcome, Lockleth. Yay, uh, welcome, Lockleth. Yeah. 
Lockleth continues, even though the podcast is longer than others I listen to. Yeah, we know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never once got bored or wanted to stop listening. Well, good. Thank you for that. Uh, also, the knowledge slash love they have for Nintendo is super great, too. Five stars. So, man, what an awesome re- uh, review. Thank you so much for that, Lockleth. Really appreciate that. Yes, um, indeed. And again, you guys can all either on iTunes, uh, now Spotify and Podchaser, leave us a five-star review just like Lockleth uh, did, and I will shout it out and read it here on the show. Uh, we always appreciate it. Super helpful for visibility. Helps us so much. And hey, if it's Christmas Day, maybe you're in the giving mood. That That's all we want for Christmas is your five-star review. Your love and support. You know, that's good enough for us. You don't have to send me Banjo-Kazooie merch. Um, no. And unlike unlike what Mariah Carey may try to make you think, all we want for Christmas <laughs> is five-star reviews. That's it. Maybe that's what we should do. We should record a Mariah Carey parody. All I want for Christmas <laughs> is five-star reviews. Uh, <laughs> Let's put a pin in that for next year. There you I'm go. actually kind of committed to doing that. That's not a bad idea. Uh, other thing I wanted to shout out just really quickly. Um, at, we keep yelling about this. We've been yelling about it all month. Our big Game of the Year awards episode will be next week on the first of the new year. When we meet you all again in 2022, we will be talking all of the best Nintendo games from 2021. When the year has finally got a nice Christmas bow put on it, we're going to look back and we're going to talk the Nintendo games, the very best of, uh, of 2021. So that's happening next week on the show. There is a Game of the Year channel in the All End Discord. So if you've not yet joined us over there on Discord, go ahead and do that. Make sure your voice is heard because we will have an All End Community's Choice Award to shout out. I mean, there's, there's kind of a clear favorite already, but... <laughs> um, there's already uh, some great stuff being thrown in there. Um, people, I mean, we've got so many talented writers in our Discord community, people who are leaving like little essays essentially in there. Um, so yeah. great stuff. I, I highly encourage folks to pop into the All End Discord, go into the Game of the Year channel, and submit your entry for the All End Community Choice Game of the Year. Um, yeah, Ballet so. and Wonderworld really making a strong push right now for that <laughs> Critics' Choice. Yeah, that would have been amazing, actually. If the community all just like rallied together and voted for Ballet and Wonderworld, hey, I, I would support that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what's been going on for you this week, sir? Oh, well, I mean, today, notwithstanding, I mean, of course we had to make... We, I mean, you didn't think we weren't going to give you the Christmas cheer this week, did you, folks? I mean, Of course we had to. Of course we had to. So we've been working on that, but actually... All in Eric has been giving you guys a double dose of Christmas cheer this week because right. not only am I appearing on your favorite Nintendo variety show, but I actually did my first ever guest spot on someone else's show. You can catch me from this past Tuesday's episode of Retro Logic. Hanging out with Dan and the crew over there. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. Yes. Two shows for the price of one this week. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Retrologic episode 63. If you are listening in the far-flung future somewhere, listening back to this episode. Um, yeah, it was great to, to see you on there, man. Like, I, I've been on Retrologic, like, anymore. I'm basically a de facto, like, you know, fourth host <laughs> there. Um, and, and it was every time I go on there, I'm like, I'm like, get Eric on, get Eric on. And, and finally, somebody listened. And uh, and got you on a podcast. It was really cool to hear you on there. It was a great episode. You guys had a great chat about 
like what it is to be a content creator. And um, I think you had some insightful things to say. I think you uh, got, you know, if you guys want the exclusive like scoop on Eric's superhero backstory, uh, you have to go to RetroLogic <laughs> to get feels that. Feels like it sometimes. <laughs> Genuinely feels like it sometimes. Like the so. trailer to my life biopic would be amazing. <laughs> so you got to go, got to go over and listen to the latest retro logic, uh, to get to your, your double dose of Eric this week and learn about his superhero secret origin. So, <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of superheroes, it has been genuinely a fantastic week, uh, for me. And I know you and I both are incredibly excited because, uh, last week when our episode went live last week, neither you nor I had had an opportunity to see Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Now you and I have both seen it, and without spoiling anything, Merry Christmas, Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. talk about a Christmas present from Marvel. I mean, we're, we're not, you know, despite the fact that we are actually reviewing a movie this week on the show, we are, we are not a movie review podcast or something. However... What an unbelievable film that was. I, I wouldn't dare breathe a word of spoilers to anybody. But, I mean, if if you could only see one movie, genuinely, if you could only see one movie <laughs> this entire year, make it Spider, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. It was so good. It was so, so good. And not only that, but I got to see the season finale of Hawkeye, which was, you know, incredibly just dripping with Christmas everything. And now it's not even, it's pretty common knowledge now that Vincent D'Onofrio has returned as the kingpin from the Netflix uh, universe. So, you know, those old shows, Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, you know, they're starting to bleed over a little bit. Starting to bleed over a little bit with the return of Kingpin. So I really hope it meets the return of genuinely. I hope it meets the return of like Daredevil and Iron Fist and Luke Cage, especially Jessica Jones. Yeah. Jessica Jones. Yeah. Punisher. All of those Netflix shows. Most of them were really, really good. I'm actually even a fan of Iron Fist. A lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was still really good. But yes, more of that in 2022. Yes, please. And thank you. Uh, In the world of video games. Similarly. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Greg. I've been playing quite a bit of Chicory, A Colorful Tale this past week when I've had time. And man, man, Seth, our game of the year discussions. <laughs> they keep, they continue to get more and more interesting as the year goes on. We genuinely, like, this, we, we thought December was going to be slow. We thought it was going to be kind of a write-off month, but then December came and said, oh, no, 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 like, most of the best games of the year genuinely came out within the last two months of the year, it feels like. Yeah, and even just in the past few weeks, we've had several games come in and say, hey, witness me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the next week is going to be very, very interesting for us, but definitely stay tuned and check out that game of the year, our first episode of 2022. Check out the game of the year, top five, and the all-in awards in just one week. But, I mean, I know, I know you've been playing some stuff, Seth, talking about uh, a lot of the stuff that we've been up to. Uh, you just finished up your Advent Calendar mission in Snowdrift Land, right? Yes, yes, that finally finished up. Um, it is a proper Advent Calendar, so it has, a, you know, it has an actual conclusion on the 25th. 
So all of that, that entire playthrough is now available to be viewed on YouTube, youtube.com slash all in podcast. So that's been fun. You watch me struggle my way through that game. And, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's some of those levels, especially the last world really ramps up in difficulty. So I, I really enjoyed that game. And I hope that you guys give it a look. And I, I would love to see this game come to Switch. I honestly would make it a yearly tradition to play through that game if it came on Switch. Like genuinely, it's it's so much fun. And it was originally um, supposed to be on the Nintendo DS, right? Well, it was a so it was a flash game that was yeah. you know ran in your web browser, and Nintendo commissioned this like independent studio to make this flash game. And essentially, every day you would get a new level of it. It's like a Super Mario World style platformer, and every day you would get a new level of this unlocked, like an advent calendar from December first until Christmas Day. And at the end of it, you'd be rewarded with like you know because it's a Nintendo project, you would get like a trailer for a DS game or a Wii game at the time. This is like early to mid two thousands, um, and uh, yeah, so they got the rights back and they they remastered the game and put it on Steam. Very cool. I know you had a lot of fun doing that this month. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's nice to have that sort of like. Um, routine you know to get in there and do a new level of that and it's you know it's a good i mean hey if you're gonna make an advent calendar a playable one's not bad <laughs> <laughs> especially if you're gonna take inspiration from anything taking inspiration from super mario world is not a bad place to draw that from yeah super mario world is the the biggest comparison i can make to it um just with the style of its level design it's 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 quite good i like it a lot mm-hmm I don't know. Speak, speaking of YouTube and streaming and stuff like that, though, Seth, did you this past week? I don't know if it's really a news story, but there was this Twitch streamer streaming Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and he just started the game. And the very first battle, right after you pick your starter, the very first battle that the game forces you into, not only was that Starly a shiny. But when he threw out his starter, his starter was shiny. Yeah, I did see that. The, those are astronomical <laughs> odds. Yeah, yeah. Did, like I'm bringing this up because genuinely someone in the community, do the math on that. I know encountering a shiny is like a 4,600 something to one odds. Yeah. yeah like somebody they're... please do the math on what is the what is the actual odds of the first battle of the game, both pokemon turning out to be shiny yeah it's it's pretty unbelievable i think somebody in the in the comments of that tweet when the guy tweeted it out said it was like mm -hmm. a like a one in like 17 million chance or something like that like it's insane yeah it's gotta be to to put that in context i have put close to 60 hours within brilliant diamond and shining pearl and i have yet to encounter one right and this is after collecting the shiny uh charm in there by the way so 60 hours in, I have yet to encounter one. And for this guy, his very first battle, not one, but both of the Pokemon appeared as shiny. And he suitably lost his mind. It was just, it was an insane clip. I am so glad that that was recorded. Well, what's what's really unfortunate about that for that guy is you have to, you have to take down that Starly. You can't catch it. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, you can't get, it's a required fight. He can't beat it. But at so. least he had the incredible consolation of having a shiny starter. <laughs> yeah, pretty great stuff. And, you know, hey, you can't win them all. At least it was Twitch streamed. At least you can, you know, see that happen live. <laughs> yeah. Also incredibly happy. Uh, I got a, a fantastic Christmas present 
from the Tennessee Titans. Had a huge come-from-behind victory against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, man, what a game. It really looked bad for us there in the first half, but the Titans got me a win, and functionally, maybe not mathematically, but functionally, we've clinched a playoff berth at this point. We're 10-5. and five. We've got a couple games left in the season, and even though there's still a bunch of things that need to happen, functionally, we've made it to the playoffs. We probably even won the division, so good for them. And for my sister, her alma mater, UCF, winning their bowl game against the University of Florida, winning their bowl game against the Gators. So, nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, big, good, great week in a lot of respects. Got to see a ton of awesome end-of-the-year Marvel stuff. This is basically like the year of Marvel at this point with everything that's happened. Ton of cool end-of-the-year Marvel stuff. Got to play a phenomenal, phenomenal game with Chicory. And, you know, both the teams I was rooting for a couple days ago won their game. So just two thumbs up. Merry, Merry Christmas. Just wish I could get my hands on one of those analog pockets, but those are back ordered <laughs> and through like the end of the decade at this point. They're super expensive. If you haven't seen them, uh, analog has created essentially this uh, Game Boy, handheld Game Boy proxy console. It's, it's really, really cool. Definitely check it out. But uh, yeah, it's super, super expensive, but the image quality on it is fantastic. And I know a lot of people in the community, uh, Chris Totten, the developer of the new Little Nemo game, says he got one and he absolutely loves it. I've seen a few people say they've picked one up and they absolutely love it. So I might have to find $1,000 some here in the next couple of years. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of hardware. I, I would love to have one, but um, yeah, I mean, even if you did want to drop the money on one right now, those things are back ordered through until like 2023, genuinely. Yeah. So, um, you know, chip shortages and all this, maybe if that situation yeah. resolves itself uh, sometime within the next year, maybe, you know, that, that timeline will be pushed up or something. I don't know, but it is a beautiful piece of hardware and I would very much like to have one. But it's uh, pretty, you know. yes. I'm pretty sure it plays like Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance. Basically, yep. anything from any version of the Game Boy. That is really cool. I saw a friend of the show, Rami Ismail, wound up playing Golden Sun on his. That was like the first one that he played. And I love that. Speaking of, we actually did a retrospective of Golden Sun with Rami earlier on in the year. Definitely go back and check that out. But yeah, that made me very happy to see him playing that. I know that made him incredibly uh, I know that made for a very good holiday for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I uh, So in my little neck of the woods, it's been absolutely insane. I had some stuff come up at work that has demanded a lot of my free time. And so I've been working at the day job a lot. Um, had to pick up a lot of extra stuff there. Um, not a lot of time for video games, unfortunately. However, uh, this weekend, though, especially coming into the holiday weekend and stuff, I mean, it's just going to be chicory for me, like, honestly. Yep. Um, yes, as it should be. We had a little family get-together with the side of my family that celebrates Christmas uh, last night, and my grandparents give me a 99 not a $100, a $99. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Nintendo I, sells I gotta respect it, though. No, no. The N Nintendo sells a $99 eShop card versus a just $100 eShop card with like Donkey Kong on it. It's like, what are you doing? That's so backwards. That's like just one of those weird Nintendo things. But anyway, 
So I get that home last night and um, I, uh, you know, I immediately entered in the code and whatever. And I just began to just raid the eShop, dude. Because like <laughs> the eShop has got like 3000 games on sale right now. Huge end of the yeah, year sale. A, there's a great indie sale going on right now. Oh my gosh. I, I bought so many games. I I mean, I uh, I must have bought like 10 games that were on my wish list, like literally. Um, so it's just insane. I definitely encourage you guys to go check out the eShop sale going on right now. Some great stuff. Most of the games that we've covered on the Indie Showcase at this point, honestly, are on, yeah. on sale on the eShop. So um, highly recommend. So, you know, speaking of Chicory, Wander Song is on sale for like five bucks or something like that right now. So yes. yeah. Good, good stuff. Uh, definitely worth looking at if you got some Christmas money floating around. Um, also wanted to issue kind of a quick reminder for Zeldathon Ascent, which is happening uh, in just a couple of days. It starts actually on Monday, the 27th. It's going to continue through into the new year. I think it's ending uh, Sunday night. I think it's January 2nd. Um, and that's benefiting St. Jude's uh, Children's Research Hospital. So definitely uh, tune into that. I know I will. And um, and give, you know, if you can. It's a great cause. Um, you know, love those guys over there. We've had the uh, director of that program, Super MC Gamer, on the show. Um, so definitely show your support for Zeldathon. Always a good time. And I uh, just want to give all the love and support in the world to those folks. Um, so anyway, we, you know, surprise, surprise, not a huge news week cause it is Christmas, but we yeah. do have some stories to cover as it turns out. We do actually have a couple stories to cover, not an overabundance of major goings on within the video game landscape, of course, you know, makes sense, but there were some really interesting things that did happen this Yuletide week. So let's talk about it. Listen. So this past weekend, this this actually made me weirdly emotional. Because um, this past weekend, not long after our last episode went live, saw the end of Nintendo Minute. Um, if you guys, yeah. Yeah, if you guys aren't familiar with Nintendo Minute, um, you probably actually are, because um, I'm sure you have seen the faces of the hosts, Kit and Krista on either your 3DS, Wii U, or now Nintendo Switch. The show was around for over eight years and had a run of over 400 episodes. And it finally came to an end this past weekend. Sad Seth. Yeah, they started like back in 2013. I think the Nintendo Minute even like predates the Nintendo Direct. Yeah, they, they called it something. I don't remember what it used to be called. It wasn't always called Nintendo Minute either. So, yeah. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time, Kit and Krista. Yeah. And that was just kind of weird. There was no pop, no circumstance or anything like that. They just launched, they just released a new episode of the Nintendo Mint. And they said, oh yeah, by the way, it's over. Like out of nowhere, like our hearts got RKO'd. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you got to wonder what, what kind of went on behind the scenes. I don't know if it was just like a budgetary constraint, if it was something that Nintendo wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't having space for in its marketing budget anymore, wasn't interested in it. Maybe, in, honestly, maybe in the Switch era, especially as things like Twitch and YouTube become more popular, something like Nintendo Minute doesn't stand out as much as it used to eight years ago. Um, but still, I mean, it, that, that's a really impressive run by any standard. Yeah. Yeah, it could also just have be something to do with Kit and Krista, Kit and or Krista. True. Uh, just, you know, wanting to move on in their careers because eight years is a very long run, very long time doing the same 
thing. So it could also have something to do with them just wanting to move on and, and pursue other opportunities in their own career. So I, a lot of potential reasons that it could have ended. It was just kind of weird because, again, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, It was just one of those kind of comfort foods that we were able to look forward to every once in a while. It wasn't something that I actively was frothing at the mouth for. It's like, oh, I need right. another Nintendo Minute. But every time one came out, it was just like, oh, that's nice. Another one's here. Cool. And, you know, and my heart fluttered. It was like, oh. Like yeah. getting to sleep on a nice, cool pillow. I was like, oh, yay. Comfort food really is the best word for it. I, I never, I probably never entered Nintendo Minute into my search bar. All right. But... I, I would see it recommended to me or I would see it on my Switch news feed or whatever. And I'd always watch it when I saw it because I liked Kit and Krista. The, these were well done little, you know, usually 10 minute Nintendo minute was never a minute. Um, little, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, the- <laughs> <laughs> that's the big catchphrase there. The um, Nintendo quarter hour. Yeah. So, you know, like fun little 10, 15 minute. And ironically, I always really liked what they did around this time of year because they would usually do these kind of like shopping spree episodes where they would be like, oh, you've got, you know, 30 minutes to grab as many things as you can in a Best Buy and everything goes to charity, you know. So RIP Nintendo minute. I'm going to miss seeing them, but uh, wishing Kid and Krista all the best, of course. Yeah, especially because of us, because we are so dialed into the Nintendo landscape. It's become just such an, I don't want to say an integral part, but, you know, an ever present part of of our lives for the past eight years. It wasn't ever really at the forefront, but it was always just this reliable piece of, of our Nintendo lives. For again, eight years. So just really bizarre to see that in. But congratulations to Kit and Krista on their eight year 400 episode run. Wish nothing but the best for you guys moving into your future endeavors. Absolutely. But we have another kind of interesting story that uh, came across our desk from the Hugo Awards, right? Mm hmm. Yes. The Hugo Literary Awards. Uh, a big. A fairly prestigious literary award dating back to 1953 is now finally in the year 2021, recognizing the literary and narrative credit of video games. Now, the Hugo Award has traditionally been sci-fi and fantasy uh, backed because, you know, typically sci-fi and fantasy everything always does feel like it gets shortchanged when it comes to many award ceremonies. Sure. So that yeah. was one of the onuses behind the Hugo Award, just to to really recognize a lot of the excellence coming out of this oft-overlooked genre. But now, here in 2021, they have decided to even include video games within you know their award spectrum. And the very first Hugo Award to ever go to a video game it seems like it makes sense because it's a game that's already won basically every other award. So you might as well (laughs) give it an award that has never been given to a video game before at this point. But yes, uh, super giants, magnum opus, one of our top five games. As a matter of fact, I think our number two game from last year, Hades is the first ever recipient, the first ever video game recipient of the Hugo Award. So congratulations again to all the people over at Supergiant Games. I don't know where you're going to fit that award at this point because (laughs) I assume you're basically tripping over them by now. Also worth noting that Animal Crossing New Horizons and Spiritfarer were also up for the award. Also both very deserving uh, nominees. 
Yeah, I think with Hades especially, I mean, makes perfect sense because Hades has got, you know, um, probably honestly more dialogue, more backstory, more text in it than most novels, genuinely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that that is just such a rich, you know, narratively rich video game. Um, also worth noting, now, not to discredit the award or anything, but Hugo did make, you know, make no uh, mistake to mention that they're not treating this as a permanent new category, but it is a history making, you know, to, to include a video game category for the first time in the Hugo Awards is important to the history of the Hugo Award, even though it's not necessarily something they're going to do every single year. So they were quick to kind of mention that. But yeah, I mean, all of the love and congratulations to Supergiant for yet another award well-deserved. Yeah, I do hope they continue to to, to recognize video games. I do too, yeah. Because, I mean, if you just kind of dip your toe into this, it's almost going to, it's really going to discredit the award, I think. Yeah. So right. if you just kind of come out and say, it's like, eh, we're doing this as a, as a trial award. If you treat it like that, then why even, you know, do it at all if you're not already committed to doing it? Yeah, I agree. I, I hope they don't just like one and done this thing. I think that when they see how, because, you know, this this made headlines. It was a big deal for the video game industry. And I, I think that it does kind of legitimize um, for, for some people the kind of narrative uh, merit of video games. And for something like Hades to take the award, I yeah, I hope that Hugo continues to do this uh, and commits to it as a an annual award, as part of the proper literary awards. So... Yeah, I honestly would have liked to have seen Animal Crossing New Horizons win a, another award because that game is so ridiculously deserving. And it did, it did seem like it was kind of getting shortchanged. It did seem like nobody really wanted to commit to giving that an award. So uh, actually, speaking of Animal Crossing, hope everybody enjoyed Toy Day uh, yesterday. Yes. It's, uh, Toy Day is not actually going on today. Toy Day was yesterday. So I hope you were able to enjoy it i we really need more christmas holiday themed content in video games i feel like I there's agree. some but you know freeze easy peak we're going to be getting next month so that'll be fun but uh when it comes to 3d platformers actually we, we are getting a little bit or did actually get a little bit of new holiday themed content one of our favorite micro-sized platformers Tori 2 that came out just a couple months ago from our friend Marcus Horn, Siactro, that we actually spoke with the uh, incredibly talented German developer about his two dollar games. He is adding or did add three new levels to Tori 2, three new Christmas themed stages to Tori 2. So free content for a one dollar game. Yes, please. Uh, it's a no brainer, guys. And by the way, that's not one dollar on sale. That's the standard price. Of Tori yeah. too. Um, so, and I mean, it's not the kind of game that you'll probably play through the game in like an hour, hour and a half, but just a wonderful little 3D platformer. Again, we did speak with the developer, uh, Marcus Horn, who's a lovely, lovely person. Uh, we had him on episode 68. If you'd like to go back and listen to that interview and learn about kind of his design process. And um, back then he sort of teased uh, this DLC a little bit, but we didn't really know contextually what to expect from it. So to get three free levels that are Christmas themed dropping in time for Christmas for your $1 3D platformer, it's it's a no-brainer. If you haven't bought Tori 2 yet, that, that may be one of the easiest recommends for the price on the Nintendo Switch. 
It's so, so fun. Again, it is a dollar, so don't expect this big sweeping adventure. It is a game that you are, like I said, probably going to beat in just an hour or hour and a half. But it's still a really enjoyable, albeit brief and simple experience. But it's it's so incredibly colorful. The platforming's really tight. And speaking of the platforming, the new stages are actually kind of breaking things up a little bit. Most of the Tori experience is very... A to B, trying to get essentially just to the end of the stage. Mm-hmm. And with these levels, Marcus is, because I played all three of them, Marcus is really trying to kind of branch out into more adventure-based levels. A little bit, uh, levels a little bit more reminiscent of another one of his games, MacBat 64, which, uh-huh. you know, we just talked about Freeze Easy Peak. MacBat 64 is actually a game very reminiscent of Banjo-Kazooie. So looks like he's trying to expand a little bit the Tory franchise. So hopefully, I mean, obviously it's clear that he's continuing to work quite a bit on new content. So we just hope that maybe Tory three will be just a few months down the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cannot wait to see where Marcus continues to take his game dev journey on the Nintendo switch. But something that I really, I didn't, this next headline, I really didn't see this coming to be honest with you. Now, Um, Cruise and Blast is one of the kind of more low-key, fun, just over-the-top arcade racer um, Mm -hmm. on the Nintendo Switch. Just a great surprise this year. Um, Something I really didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did. And there was a Reddit AMA this past week with Eugene Jarvis, who's kind of a low-key legendary figure. has been working in the games industry for like 40 years. Um, He is the creator of Cruisin' and the head of Raw Thrills. He did an AMA on Reddit this past week and confirmed in it that not only is online multiplayer in the works for Cruise and Blast, which is, that alone is massive. That was one of the only complaints that people lodged against it. Um, the game is also going to be receiving additional DLC support. So to be honest, this was a huge surprise for me. And I'm like, I'll look, I will certainly take it, but I wasn't expecting it. I thought Cruise and Blast was just going to be exactly what it was until the end of time, you know, and I was happy with that. (laughs) Now we're getting more. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's when it comes to the, the arcade style racer, there might not be more pure distillation of an arcade racer than cruise and blast on the Nintendo switch. Uh, I mean, you can have arcade style racing games, but honestly, nothing has really transported me back to an actual racing arcade cabinet. Just jumping back to the heyday of all those old uh, uh, Midway. That's right, Midway games. Mm-hmm. God, I remember Midway. Oof. But um, yeah, you kind of said it, Seth. It was kind of a surprise just how much of a pun intended blast the game was. And I'm really glad that we're going to continue to get more content for it. Yeah, man. Bring it on. I am I am happy to see it. I love that game. I think it's actually currently on sale uh, the time of this recording, at the time of this going live, I think for another like week. I think that game's on sale for half off on the eShop. You can get it for like 20 bucks. So especially as you're waiting for this DLC and this online multiplayer patch to come. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> so, but um, we don't really have any big major new releases to shout out. Um But what we do have instead is something, I mean, look, when it comes to the Christmas tree and the things that you can't put a digital release under the Christmas tree, you can get an eShop card, but you can't put it under the Christmas tree. You need a physical edition, Eric. So 
that brings it brings me great pleasure to finally give you guys an update on the physical edition for Disco Elysium through I am 8-bit. Now, we knew about this. We already knew that this was a thing when they first announced this back at I think like it was around E3, I think, when they first announced that it was getting a physical. Yeah. Um, but now Honestly, we finally... I was just happy that it came to the Nintendo Switch. But yes, this is definitely a game that you're going to want to own physically. Yes. Yes. And it's coming on March 15th for $39.99 physically. It's also got a $250 collector's edition if you're interested in that sort of thing. And uh, the game's been out for a little while digitally on the Nintendo Switch eShop, but um, really cool to finally get it physically. This is the version I've been waiting on. I've been waiting for the physical. So um, so really excited to finally have an update to share with you guys on that. Yeah, and the collector's edition, if you are so inclined, is $250. So... If you roll like that, maybe that's something you can look into. There's a lot of bells and whistles in there, I will say. But, I mean, if you're paying $250 for a collector's edition, there better be a lot of bells and whistles. But I've got to say, my collector's brain is just, it's pretty. (laughs) That's all I can say. It's really pretty. It's got a cool, like, sculpture. Like, uh, apparently they're hand-painted. It's got a, uh, like, almost 200-page hardcover art book, which I'm a sucker for art books. Um, it's yeah. got a, uh, it's got a fabric map included. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. $250. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? But I, I'm for sure. I mean, even if you don't want that just to have this game physically, which was on, especially when it came to game of the year talks last year, uh, was on a lot of people's shortlist for best games of the year. Um, I, I, I'm happy to have it on switch and I'm looking forward to having that physical cart. Absolutely. Absolutely. But here coming into the end of the news roundup, I just I really wanted to shout out that Indie World Holiday Sale one last time going mm-hmm. on through the beginning of the new year. Uh, there's so many amazing indie games. And honestly, is there a better gift than a Nintendo Switch indie game? There's really not. There's really there's not. Really you, not. Can, you can get Beast Breaker half off right now, y'all. Come on. Glyph is half off. Definitely pick up Glyph. So good. Shout out to our friends over at Bulwark Studios. Hi, Rasmus. How you doing, buddy? Um, But yeah, there's just so many amazing games available right now on the Nintendo Switch that you should absolutely check out. Go into the Switch eShop, go into the great deals, and just scroll down and look at some of the insane deals. Oxenfree is like $199 right now. The first Oxenfree is just 2 bucks. There's a ton of really, really cool deals going on that you should absolutely check out if you are even remotely interested in the indie game scene. But what are you guys up to this holiday season? What are you guys up to this Christmas day? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. Join us over on Discord. Join us and all of our friends for some fun Yuletide convo. You can also check us out at youtube.com slash allinpodcast, twitch.tv slash allinpodcast. And of course, we do have an actual podcast over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Podchaser. And if you listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Podchaser, you can review All In, a Nintendo podcast, if you Mm -hmm. feel so inclined, as we've already proven. If you give us a five-star review, we will shout it out here on the show because we really appreciate all the nice things that people do for us. And speaking of all the nice things that people do for us, thank you guys so much for not just hanging out with us each and every Saturday, but hanging out with us this Saturday, this Christmas. 
Thank you for hanging out with us this Christmas and as always making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. But as you know, Seth, I love telling stories. I mean, I have the word storyteller literally tattooed on my body and I was very happy to tell our audience uh, a little story in the intro. But as I was trying to gather Christmas stories for our amazing listeners today, unfortunately, before I even realized it, uh, it turned out I was reading from the Necronomicon. Good. So. <laughs> Good. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Cthulhu <laughs> Fatagan. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, I unleashed a bunch of Eldritch Horrors on the world, and we are going to need some help to clean all of them up this holiday season, which is perfect considering our indie showcase. Ladies and gentlemen, our indie showcase this Christmas is Zeboid's insane... H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft-inspired turn-based RPG, Cthulhu Saves Christmas. You know, we've actually been wanting to cover Cthulhu. We actually considered, literally, Cthulhu Saves Christmas for last year's Christmas yeah. episode. Um, because it's just so perfect. Not only, you know, Cthulhu <laughs> has kind of become a thing in and of itself, Um I mean, and even like Cthulhu's relationship to Christmas is kind of funny and storied. Um, I think about the Penny Arcade did this, uh, the last Christmas Cthulhu Christmas children's book, um, mm. which was which was pretty fantastic. And um, this game, let's just say this game goes places. <laughs> <laughs> it does go a lot of places, but uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas is actually a prequel. Mm -hmm. to a to Cthulhu Saves the World, released on Steam back in 2011 from Zeboid Games. And the, the Cthulhu Saves the World never released on the Nintendo Switch. We only got the prequel. So for a lot of people, this is going to be the only real way they can experience this, this eldritch comedy. But what it is is it is a kind of bite-sized turn-based RPG, very akin to, you know, stuff like the old 16-bit top-down RPGs like Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6, and, oh yeah, uh, you know, a couple other games that I referenced earlier this week on RetroLogic. Again, go back and listen to that. But one of the things I really like about this game, and there there is a lot to really like about Cthulhu Saves Christmas, one of the things that turns me off, as much as I love JRPGs, as much as I adore JRPGs, one of the things that always gives me pause is the fact that I know that JRPGs, the overwhelming majority of the time, are going to require minimum, bare minimum, 30 hours of my life. Right, right. So if you're an RPG fan, if you're a turn-based RPG fan, but you just don't have the time to dedicate to one of the newer, massive 30, 40, 50, 60, 150 hour RPGs that are coming out. If you want to get your RPG fixed without having to commit the next two months of your life to it, then this is another reason that I think you should check this game out because they're, they're able to effectively fit a lot of JRPG stuff within a game that you could honestly beat within four or five hours. Yeah, what's really interesting, Zaboid Games is an interesting studio, really small studio. I think there's like maybe two 
three people like like actively involved in it. I mentioned Penny Arcade earlier. They actually were involved with the Penny Arcade Adventures series. Um, very, very similar to this. Um, Cosmic Star Heroine, another series yep. that they did. Um, Breath of Death 7, The Beginning. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just... Which is actually referenced in this game. <laughs> so, and Cosmic Star Heroine is too. And so... It's it's really funny how like they they sort of have carved out this little space for themselves where they're making these kind of games with old school sensibilities, unique kind of like modern um gameplay flourishes which Cthulhu Saves Christmas actually does some interesting gameplay things. Like it isn't just a straight by the numbers you know, turn-based RPG. It actually does a couple of interesting mechanical things that I wasn't expecting to say nothing of the humor. I mean, like <laughs> I was, you laugh your way through this game. You really do. Yeah. If, if you're going to play Cthulhu Saves Christmas, just be ready for constant meta fourth wall breaking jokes. Like genuinely every other word block every other speech bubble is going to be some type of fourth wall breaking humor it's it's constant to the point of maybe even arguably being too much but that's even part of its charm is just how over the top it is with a lot of its you know various aspects humor included but you know genuinely one of the first things that happens in the game is cthulhu gets woken up by the narrator essentially <laughs> rattling off this this eldritch themed christmas poem and cthulhu saying poetry not in my game and then the narrator actually claps back saying i promise nothing <laughs> it's fun like yeah the um the kind of back and forth that cthulhu has with the narrator the um the sort of like story setup of it being that like you know cthulhu actually um, let's just say not a fan of Christmas, <laughs> um, at least at the start of this game and, um, and kind of ends up being looped into the, the saving of Christmas, um, kind of unwillingly a little bit, uh, which I found interesting. They made Cthulhu kind of like a, you know, a funny character, like an actually likable character. <laughs> yeah. HP Lovecraft is turning in his grave right now. <laughs> well, that's all right. <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair but yeah it's just it's so unbelievably funny but what happens is cthulhu winds up getting this gift and this gift that he receives winds up stealing a lot of his power that he was going to use to take over and destroy the planet and cthulhu does not appreciate that so come to find out that Christmas has essentially been taken over. Santa has been kidnapped. Christmas has been taken over by what? What was it? The the League of Evil Christmas? Yeah, the League of Christmas Evil. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a very clear nod to a certain, uh, you know, Scott Pilgrim inspired IP. I think there's uh, even seven of them, just like in in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, there yeah. is. But that's what happens, and Cthulhu very begrudgingly winds up having to go and save Christmas, winds up having to go and save Santa with Santa's granddaughter, as a matter of fact, uh, Crystal. So, but I mean, that's I mean that's the least weird thing that really happens throughout the course of the game. Just stuff just continues to happen. Jokes abound. You wind up getting a uh, total, a party of four. 
You wind up, uh, in addition to Cthulhu Crystal, you wind up adding two other party members throughout the course of the adventure, and you go on a fairly straightforward, mechanically speaking at least, journey to save Santa. You go through, you know, a bunch of dungeons, and then you have your your town aspects of the game. Uh, I will say, when it comes to the actual combat in this game, it is going to be very familiar. If you've ever played a JRPG, especially one from the 16-bit era or so, yeah. a lot of what you're going to see here is going to be very familiar. But they do they do, do a couple of unique things that I really appreciate. First of all, something I want to, to, to stress is how snappy the game is. Yes. The game has an incredibly quick pace. Uh, when I was talking earlier about being able to fit in a bunch of stuff in a small time period, the reason they're able to do that is because the pace of the game is incredibly snappy. And the reason the pace of the game is incredibly snappy is because there are virtually no load times at all. Like between the time that you're, uh, between the time that you're walking on the overworld and getting into a fight and attacking and ending a fight, once you're strong enough, that can all take place within literally two seconds. Yeah, I mean, like, they, the, the game is kind of like, you know, if you've ever played, like, an RPG Maker game, like, with very kind of, like, you know, the, the assets, it's it's good-looking pixel art and stuff like this, and the locales that you go to throughout the game, very Christmassy locales. But oh, yes. it's not exactly putting a huge strain on your Nintendo Switch, all right? It's, you know, the, the game is very snappy, loads a lot. Um, a, a lot of stuff very streamlined and they, they even like, again, mechanically streamline a lot of things down to like you were just talking about with the combat is really streamlined. Um, it does some interesting things mechanically with that, which we'll get into for a second uh, in a second. But they also have like some like t- in town life sim things that are very streamlined. Like the game is extreme. Snappy really is the best word. Yeah, it, it blew my mind when I kind of looked back after I'd seen the credits roll and just imagined all the stuff that I'd actually seen and done and gotten into over the course of the past five hours. I was really, really impressed. So uh, that's that's another reason I really like the game is it's an incredibly quick pace. It's, it's almost as if the game wants you to beat it quickly, almost as if it knows that it's just this, you know, People only want to play it for Christmas because it is such a Christmas-centric type of game. So it's almost as if it's the game itself is saying, hey, you know, we know you only want to play me this week. So come on in, get it out of your system, move on. Cool. Hope you had fun. And how refreshing is that, man? Like, it's just like a candy cane of a game. It's not trying to be a full meal. You know, it's no. it's just trying to be like something that you just you enjoy. So, like you say, um, I I think to some of the most interesting things I think mechanically that Cthulhu Saves Christmas does is within its combat and things related to its combat. Um, mm-hmm. So, one of the big things that this game does with its uh, and again, it's a very again you'll you'll be very familiar with it if you've played sixteen bit era RPGs turn based you know, blah, blah, blah. You've got like a, a timeline of, um, of, you know, actions between you, your party and the enemies. Um, but I think like the insanity, not just the insanity, like status effects that you can inflict, but the actual like kind of random element of, of some of the actions that are available to you in combat is really interesting. Yeah, and a lot of the actions that you're going to take, you don't just have your attack and then your magic and then your abilities. 
each of the characters has their own individual abilities. They're like, there's no magic points within the game whatsoever. You right. just choose almost Pokemon-esque from this list of, of attacks that you have access to. And each of the characters has their own unique list of abilities. And you continue to learn more throughout the course of the game. But instead of like Pokemon, instead of being forced to forget stuff to make room for new abilities, you can just uh, you can just customize your character's little choosable move list. You can take all the abilities and all the moves that they've learned throughout the course of the game and you can customize their little uh, move list that they have access to at the beginning of a fight. Uh, Seth was talking about some random elements. There are four attacks that you can customize. And then there are three that are kind of uh, randomly chosen and given to you at the start of a fight. And like I said, there's no MP. What instead happens is once you use an ability, that ability is now no longer usable until you recharge. Right. So instead of having like a defend, like a straight defend that you used to see in a lot of those old JRPGs, you instead have a defend slash recharge type of ability. So you use several of your attacks and then you recharge them and then they're usable again. So if you have a, a healing character, if you have a, uh, uh, your medic character, if you have a, a healing ability that you really like, maybe you're just in a situation to where you just use that healing ability and then just immediately recharge just to use that. Or if you want to, sure, go through your entire character's moveset before you recharge. You really have, there, there is quite a bit of uh, freedom you have in order to do that. But I, I, I do really like that. I do think that's a very interesting take on the classic uh, ability trope. Rather than just having an entire pool of magic points that you can just refill using items or something. Yeah. Actually, and speaking of items, there are items in the game as well. Yeah, there. I mean, there there are items. There are full on. I mean, there's equipment. Um, you know, each of the 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 party members have their own equipment. You know that you can set and you know stats. I mean, it's got all these RPG things. But I do really like that the game wasn't comfortable to just be a by the numbers R, you know RPG, which it could have gotten away with. Like it could have done that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even like in the overworld, in the areas that you're going to be exploring leading up to these boss fights, you'll find treasure chests, you'll find items and equipment that you can use um, on your party members. You'll um, you'll earn items through some of the stuff in the like life sim stuff I was referring to uh, earlier as rewards for building your relation ships. Um, <laughs> so there, you know, there there's plenty to to dig into here, and it's all very like. It, it all feeds into itself, I think, really, really well in a way that, again, feels very snappy and immediate. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of unique aspects and what they do that is different from a lot of other turn-based RPGs, uh, I mean, even just going back into the combat, talking about the items again, the items aren't consumables. You don't just buy a number of potions. Right. The items are actually kind of used uh, like abilities, like the the character's abilities and uh, instead of each character, because each character has their own unique abilities, the items essentially serve as abilities that are shared between the entire party. 
they get used up like abilities and they can recharge at the beginning of fights. They're not typical consumables like you see in most RPGs. They're very unique in that aspect. Uh, and even outside of that, they have each of the characters has an ability, very Chrono Trigger-esque. Oh, yeah. Has a, has a dual ability that they can perform with another character. And uh, each character in the game has a dual ability they can perform using each other character. So each character, you have a party of four ultimately. So each character has three separate dual abilities that they can, that they have access to. Those can't be recharged. Those are one and done for a fight. So make sure you, yeah, yeah, make sure you know when you're using them. Definitely, uh, definitely make sure to get the most out of those during boss fights. So like, there's a lot of unique stuff going on. They do rely very heavily on status effects it's not just damage and how to do damage the quickest. Yes, that can certainly come into play, but uh, the the game does rely very, very heavily on its status effects. Being able to lower someone's attack, lower their defense, the insanity side effect that we were talking about, uh, being able to charm enemies into attacking other enemies. And unlike a lot of old RPGs, a lot of the stronger characters, a lot of those status effects weren't used because a lot of the characters that you'd want to use them on were immune to them. I actually, no joke, got the final boss of this game to deliver the final blow to itself because I was able to charm it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, that was incredibly satisfying. So make use of the status effects in this game because they are very, very helpful. Even... Uh, outside of that, there's a ton of positive status effects like regeneration and, uh, you know, buffs that that you can really make use of in the game. All of a sudden you're doing two or three hundred damage a hit, but you put a couple buffs on Cthulhu and all of a sudden you hit for 17 or 1800 damage. So buffs are very, very strongly balanced to to be incredibly useful in this game. Yeah, and I like that you can, like, the the game is as deep as you want it to be. Like, if you want to dig into the stats and if you want to set up a loadout of abilities that really have a lot of, like, synergy, you can. And you can really, there's a, plenty of that to dig into and min-maxing with equipment and stuff like this. You can do all of that if you want to. And I love that the game has that depth there. But if you also just want to play through it fairly casually, it, it totally plays that way too. I, I really like that. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this game too, another like kind of interesting little mechanical thing is the way that the game deals with random encounters. Um, because you, when you enter just like most RPGs of this type, especially from this era, there is uh, random encounters and there's actually a level, um, that will increase like a literal bar of danger that will increase as you're exploring the areas of this game, the very Christmas themed areas of the, of this game. Um, and this bar will increase as time goes on, the more you walk around and, you know, inevitably leading into a random encounter. But there is also a counter of the number of fights that you can get into to then negate random elements altogether. So if you want to, and you can trigger these battles at will, you can actually yeah. go into the menu and, and you know, start a battle whenever you want to and just, you know, go through all of the battles that are required and then never have to deal with another random battle if you don't want to do that. I thought that was so interesting. And, I mean, you can do that, or, to be completely honest, if you don't want to just deal with the battles at all anyway... 
even before you're done, even before you uh, get down to zero battles, just like Seth said, that bar, that little danger bar will continue to rise. Once it completely fills, you'll get an exclamation mark that appears above your head for about a second. Yeah. If you tap the confirmation button during that time, it'll just not put you in a fight. So if you want to just trigger a bunch of battles from the main menu so that you have freedom of movement throughout the entire dungeon for the rest of the time you're there, you can do that. If you want to play it more like a traditional RPG where you just wait for random encounters to happen, you can do that. If you just want to not deal with random encounters at all, there's a method in there for you to just not have to worry about random encounters at all. It's kind of what you want to do. And even after you fight the final... uh battle the quote-unquote final battle the final random battle at least in each stage if you still want to trigger more fights if you still want to to get more xp then you can still trigger more fights if that's what you want if you want to just grind out more levels the game does still let you do that so yeah there, there are a lot of really interesting little things that really set this game apart from a lot of its uh from a lot of the games that have clearly influenced it yeah, which is just more than I think I was expecting out of it. You know, like coming into it, it's like, okay, I knew this is going to be like a 16-bit era inspired turn-based RPG. Great. That that's that alone is really cool. I like the pixel art. I like the music. Like I think the music is is pretty good. I don't I don't think there's anything oh. like, you know, hugely stand out about it, but I like it. You know. There's there's only a few tracks in the game. There's honestly only like three or four tracks in the game, but there's one that is Oh man, it's uh that the the Trans Siberian Orchestra, like oh, the song sure. that everybody knows Car- from the Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carol of the Bells. There is like this this Cthulhu esque right. metal esque take on that that also kind of calls back to, uh, honestly, kind of calls back to Chrono Trigger at the same time. Sure, that is genuinely that was one of my tracks of the year. I thought that was <laughs> amazing. There's I absolutely adore that track. There's not a lot of music in the game, but that one track specifically uh, made Eric very happy. <laughs> there, there's some good stuff in there. I think that it, a lot of like, again, the entire time playing this, I was like, okay, this reminds me a lot of like, not in a bad way, but this reminds me of like a lot of the RPG maker style games that I've played, you know? Yeah. And not, that's not a knock against the game, but you know, a lot of it did kind of, it, it's, it's meant to be evocative of all of this other stuff. But again, it did go that extra mile. If the game was just like simply by the numbers, I don't know that we would be sitting here talking about it right now, you know, but the fact that it is so unique and it did go the extra mile and it did add so much mechanical depth and interesting like gameplay twists and personality and humor and like just, you know, genuinely funny writing, fun characters. Um, I mentioned the relationships, <laughs> which is an amazing pun. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that. There, there are some <laughs> aspects of this game that are puns on Eldritch lore. <laughs> so yes. that's so Seth Seth's not saying that wrong. It, yeah. you're, you're gonna have to see the spelling for yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but there is kind of a, a life sim element to the game. There's like an actual, you know, you you go on these little um excursions with the characters in your party and you build your relationship level with them. And um <laughs> there there's kind of little like side things to track down. And again, all of that is incredibly streamlined. You're not gonna be it's not like an open world game, 
You know what I mean? Um, no. It's, it's all incredibly streamlined. You're basically just selecting vignettes from a menu, right? But it's very fun and a lot of good character moments. Yeah, it's entertaining. There's there's almost no gameplay involved in these whatsoever. What it is, is in between the dungeons of the game, you go back to Christmas land, you go back to this town, and you have the option of taking part in several little scripted events. And a lot of them do include the, the characters, the main characters in your party. And you can go through these entire bizarre little subplots with them things that could literally include creating a chicken living hut house hybrid (laughs) that could include cthulhu getting an actual job like a christmas seasonal job at a mall (laughs) there's actually quite a bit of stuff to get into and again kind of my biggest disappointment with the game is the fact that there is no gameplay involved in these whatsoever. Essentially, just in between dungeons, you pick several of these little scripted sequences to watch. And then at the end, after you've watched some entertaining little dialogue and an in, like a little bit of interesting situational comedy, that you get a new item, you get a new piece of equipment for one of your characters. And then after you watch four or five, six of those, then you wind up going to the next dungeon. I wish. Uh, the game's only 10 bucks. The game's only $10, and for what's there, I I am really impressed. We're not going to hold this game up on the same level as stuff like Chrono Trigger or other great RPGs. This is just that the game very much knows what it is. But I do really wish, if I had one thing, I do really wish that they had been able to add just a little bit of gameplay to these because there's actually a lot of stuff to do in the towns in between. There's way more than you could do in a single playthrough. There's actually a fairly impressive amount of these little scripted situational comedy sequences, a ton of items to get. And actually that was another thing that surprised me is just how many items there are in the game. When I knew I was only going to be playing this turn-based RPG for a few hours and I found out that it had actual equipment in it, I was like, what, am I going to find like one extra piece of armor for each character and one extra weapon? But no, there's there's a pretty impressive amount of equipment in here for each character. That was another thing I was quite surprised by. Yeah, they, they took like a, you know, a... The, the the trappings of like a 20 hour 30 hour rpg of this era and they condensed it down to this little you know 5 hour package and i also love the the way that they included like all of these kind of christmas tropes and like characters i mean oh yeah i just I'll just i'll just say baba yaga chan and and leave it at that <laughs> and just leave it at that there is a very good reason we are featuring this in our christmas indie showcase cthulhu saves christmas is a very apt title because christmas is dripping all over this in addition to blood and insanity christmas as well is also dripping all over this game there's a, a ton of really cool christmas themed elements and characters that show up and uh you know dungeon designs the dungeon designs aren't overly complex no yeah but they are enjoyable to look at and seeing all the the christmas trappings over most of the walls and being able to go through a lot of you know kind of iconic christmas settings is really cool yeah they they did a good job with that and then like some of the boss fights you know 
um, yeah. are also, I don't want to spoil them. There, there's some familiar characters in there, you know, and it's, and it's fun and they have a lot of fun with that. So I don't know. It's just like, it's, you know, it's not going to be game of the year. It's not going to be Chrono Trigger, but it's like a really fun little Christmas snack, just a little yeah. gingerbread cookie of a game. And I went through a, on a very casual playthrough, just, you know, kind of just trying to enjoy the game for Christmas, not really trying to play it for, for any amount of challenge necessarily, but just trying to enjoy the experience, enjoy the comedy, enjoy the mechanics. But if you want a little bit of challenge, you can get it with this game. Uh, even on normal difficulty, you have sane, which is easy, insane, which is normal difficulty. Then you actually have raving which is hard. And I'm not going to lie for, for a lot of the game, I thought just the normal difficulty was, was fairly challenging. So if you're looking for an RPG and a challenge at that, then I think this game can, can scratch that itch for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just really cool. Easy recommend. And again, like you mentioned earlier, it's 10 bucks, you know, easy recommend. Yeah. I was, it, it took me about an hour to really warm up to the game. But once I did, I was I was being pretty consistently impressed with each new element and every new location and each new stupid meta joke that was being thrown my way. I thought it was kind of over the top at first. And then once <laughs> I just let it all kind of happen, I was able to appreciate it a lot more. And it was very entertaining throughout. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot to really, really like about this holiday insanity uh, so if you check it out, if you check out Cthulhu Saves Christmas from Zaboid Games, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us what you thought of it this holiday season. Tell us if it made your uh, Christmas better or if you somehow unleashed demons uh, upon the world like I accidentally <laughs> did for a few minutes. But, you know, to keep the celebration going... You know, Christmas is a huge party. It's a great time of the year for families to get together and, you know, but there's a gift exchange because it's a birthday party as well. We're celebrating the birth, you know, happy 2022nd birthday, Jesus. (laughs) Actually, is that how that works? I I don't know, man. I I got nothing over here. It's something like Uh, that. We'll we'll roll with it. Yeah. But yeah, Christmas is a birthday celebration for Jesus Christ. And 2021 has kind of been defined by birthdays when it comes to video games and the Nintendo landscape. There have been a ton of notable anniversaries over this past year. It's again, kind of, it's kind of been 2021's identity within the Nintendo zeitgeist is just the, the insane amount of of anniversaries of landmark birthdays yeah. that a lot of really noticeable franchises and games have had so much so that there have actually been some really significant video game anniversaries that have completely flown under a lot of people's radars. We've all been hearing about the Sonic 30th anniversary and the Pokemon 25th anniversary. And of course, Metroid and Zelda and a lot of these other big anniversaries, but There are some unsung heroes. There are some underappreciated. There are some overlooked video game anniversaries from 2021. And we are going to count down the top five for you right now. Yeah, so 2021 being the year that like every video game series ever had its anniversary. Feels like it. Had its significant anniversary is kind of a meme at this point. But 
I mean, honestly, I mean, like we just said, there are so many significant anniversaries for significant game franchises that have gone completely overlooked this year, some of which we have been screaming about throughout the entirety of 2021. Um, you, you, if you know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot, there's a lot to get into here. Absolutely. And, you know, here at the end of the year, we just really felt it was fitting to look back, you know, Mm. on 2021 in this way, because again, the, the identity essentially of 2021 really felt like the year of the anniversary But before 2021 is up, we just wanted to make sure that a few games got their due in and amongst the Dragon Quests, which had their own directs, and in amongst the Resident Evils that had their own directs, and of course, all the massive major anniversaries that have been celebrated all year long. We wanted to make sure that these game franchises were not left in the cold in a year defined by birthdays. All ends got your back. Yeah. (laughs) We got you. Especially considering that our number five is the 35th anniversary of Castlevania from this past September 26th. How wild is that? I feel like nobody talked about the 35th anniversary of Castlevania. That's massive. Yeah, hands up out there who actually saw anybody post about the 35th anniversary of Castlevania. (laughs) No, nobody. None of you? None of you? No no hands? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Bueller? Yeah, you know, it's, but but it's completely understandable because there was really only two Castlevania games and then the franchise just completely went away and we never heard from it again. It's not like Castlevania has released dozens upon dozens of core games and spinoffs on virtually every console and gaming platform that's ever been given to us over the past 35 years. It's not like that's happened. Yeah, it's not like it's still, you know, incredibly relevant. You know, it's not like it doesn't have two playable characters in Smash Brothers, you know, a stage still very much at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, you know. It's not like we didn't just get another Castlevania collection, the advanced collection, just a couple months ago. Yeah, and you could argue that that was like, oh, that's what they did for the 35th. And it's like, come on, dude. That's not what they did for the 35th. They didn't even bill it that way, you know. Konami can't be bothered to really do much anymore. The fact that they could even be bothered to re-release a couple games that they had just lying around the office kind of blows my mind. But yes, Castlevania, one of the most iconic action franchises of all time, also celebrated its 35th anniversary this year. Happy birthday, you Dracula slain wonder. <laughs> I mean, a series that has spawned a Netflix show. Yeah. You know. A bad one, but. Uh, I, oh, come on. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, not here. That, not, here not here. Not here. Not here. Not the, not the right venue. Not the right venue. <laughs> not here. Um, I'm sorry. I like that show. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, like a an iconic series, you know, you could argue about the, the quality of the games as the series went on or whatever. It's not something. I really hope. I hope that Castlevania gets its Metroid Dread moment, man. I do too. I mean, if nothing else, the franchise uh, was one half of the couple that gave birth to one of the most beloved gaming genres of all time. Symphony of the Night is straight up one of the greatest games ever made. It is. It's Symphony of the Night, and it blows my mind. There was a reason we put Symphony of the Night number two on games that need to come to a Nintendo platform. It astounds me. Symphony of the Night is not playable and has never been playable on a Nintendo console. One of the greatest games of all time. A Metroidvania Mm -hmm. 
has never been played. Konami? Konami. Listen, I get it. You're apathetic. You really don't feel like you want to do anything outside of Pachinko. Give us Symphony of the Night on on the Nintendo Switch, please. Just give us that. And then you can go back to to destroying Metal Gear or whatever you're doing these days. And, and I'm not I'm not trying to sound ungrateful for getting the GBA trilogy, which are those are fantastic games. And they by are. the way, yes, go get like them. that trilogy was done in like two years. Like those games were annual essentially during that period. Um, so I, I really commend them for that. There was a moment in time and then they did the same thing on the Nintendo DS. And I hope that those games are next. Um, but I mean, like there, there was a time where Castlevania was a super prolific series and I feel like it's time to do that again. And they should have rolled out the red carpet for its anniversary. Absolutely. There's a couple companies that know how to celebrate the anniversaries of their franchises to Sega's credit. They are absolutely one of them. And I really oh, wish, it. I really wish Konami would take a few cues from a few of their fellow game publishers. But going into our number four, uh, there was an incredibly notable game, arguably the best game in this franchise, that is celebrating its silver anniversary, its twenty fifth anniversary from this past March 21st. Our number four is the 25th anniversary of Kirby Superstar. It's hard to argue with that. That that may be the best 2D Kirby game like that. I mean, it really might be. Don't get me wrong. There are some great games in the Kirby franchise, especially since Return to Dreamland came out back on the way. There's been some really good ones, but still going back to Kirby Superstar back on the Super Nintendo, that game is just special. Well, I say game, it was billed as eight games in one. Right. Now, we should say, we should say that Kirby does have an arguably even bigger, like, grand series anniversary coming up next year. Yes. And, and I mean, we can only hope. Obviously, we know that Kirby ha- has got a new game coming out. Can't wait for Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Yes. However... You know, they, they released back in 2012 the Kirby Dream Collection, and that was amazing. Um, I hope they do something similar for Kirby's 30th, but you can't just gloss over probably the single most important entry in the entire, in the now almost 30-year series. Kirby Superstar really is probably its most important entry, and no fanfare whatsoever for its 25th anniversary. None. None whatsoever. Now, it's awesome that we have it on NSO, and you should absolutely play it on NSO. You don't even need the expansion pack to check this one out. It's a Super Nintendo game. So definitely check out Kirby. If you're a fan of Kirby whatsoever, Kirby Superstar is required reading. So definitely go back. Definitely check that out. Kirby's Dreamland 3 and Kirby's Dream Course are also on the Super Nintendo Nintendo Switch Online app. Definitely check those out as well. But at the very least, you need to see what everybody's been talking about since Kirby Superstar. They re-released it on the DS as Kirby Superstar Ultra. But honestly, that just made me nostalgic for the Super Nintendo version. I, I honestly think that with the exception of maybe Yoshi's Island, I think that Kirby Superstar is like probably the best looking game on the Super Nintendo also. Like, I just love the way that Kirby's art style translates and the the sprite work is so beautiful. The gameplay is pitch perfect. It's sort of like the, you know, we're all kind of used to and we're all, frankly, a little bit spoiled by all the extra modes in a Kirby game, which, again, was billed as, like, eight games in this. Um, 
but but that's sort of where it got its genesis. It's a hugely important game to the series. Yeah, and even more so, like, again, says talking about all the extra modes, they really went all out with Kirby Superstar. Honestly, a lot of the more modern Kirby games seem small by comparison to this old Super Nintendo title. Uh, there's just so, so much to love about Kirby Superstar. And we're still feeling the... I, you, there's so much that you can tell about modern Kirby games that how much we're still taking, how many cues we're still taking from Kirby Superstar, even in the modern era of Kirby games. It, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of things next year that we can point to, plenty of Kirby Superstar influence that we can point to even in Kirby and Forgotten Land next year. Man, I hope it's good. Please be good. I have faith. I think Kirby's been a really solid series and and i have faith i'm keeping the faith i I do too but going into three dimensions was not an easy transition for a a very many game franchises to the point where a lot of them had to wind up going right back to 2d so going from 2d to 3d is a very difficult transition but if anybody can make it uh, i have faith in the pink puffball (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Well, uh, going from one, you know, Sakurai game to another. um, Nice. Our number three is actually a a series that just celebrated its 35th anniversary just a few days ago on December 19th, 1986 um, on the original Famicom, a little game called Kid Icarus. Happy birthday, Kid Icarus. Happy birthday, Kid Icarus. Why is nobody talking about this? No one. I know that Kid Icarus is not like a megaton. It's not Smash Brothers. It's not Zelda. I get it, right? And, and uh, yes, it hasn't aged well. Yes, we understand. That the, the first game's like not good by, by today's <laughs> standards. I get it. Okay. But like Kid Icarus Uprising, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's the best game on Nintendo 3DS. That game alone is almost 10 years old. Now that Sakurai is, you know, has has put Smash Brothers to bed, I think for himself at least, I don't think the series is dead, but I think that Sakurai is kind of stepping back. I really hope that we see more from the Kid Icarus series. And like it or not, I mean, Sakurai has carried the torch for Kid Icarus for all of these years. And if, if only to like respect his involvement in the series, you would think that Nintendo would have said something, you know, something, anything. <laughs> There's just always something that's been special about Kid Icarus. A lot of people don't remember the sequel that it got on the Game Boy, uh, Kid Icarus, yes. uh, what was it, Gods and Monsters or something? Uh, myths, myths and, and Le- Monsters. Myths yeah. and Monsters, yeah. But there's just always been something special about Kid Icarus. It's been re-released Lord knows how many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, it was special and it was regarded well enough to the point where when Super Smash uh, when Super Smash Brothers Brawl came around, Pitt was considered this big kind of coup, this big oh, yeah. get for the franchise. They were he was this marquee name that they were plastering all over the game. It was like, look at this big name we've added to this massive game franchise. You know, that's just kind of always been, you know, despite you know, only having a couple games to his name, and despite them not aging well, there's just always been something really special, really endearing about Kid Icarus. And if you have the ability to get, you know, that little extra control stick for the 3DS, definitely go play Uprising. I couldn't play it without it, but if you can get it, play it. I, I actually think that it's it's fine, like with, with the original control scheme, but especially if you play it on a new 3DS where it has the built-in C-stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the the game controls you know beautifully and and it's a phenomenal game i really it blows my mind that uprising did not the, the game sold over a million copies like it did well um it was really well received critically the game came out almost almost 10 years ago now if you can believe it um that game alone came out in 2012 and i just can't believe that that didn't turn into its own little series i mean you could have made you could have made a new uprising style Kid Icarus game every year and I would have bought it. You know, <laughs> that game was amazing. The music, it's the best soundtrack on 3DS. It's the best story of a game on 3DS. That game is phenomenal. Um, and I feel like it's slept on and I feel like the series in general needs more respect than it's getting. But that, that has been, uh, thank you all for coming to my TED Talk. That has been my Kid Icarus <laughs> Uprising uh, TED Talk. <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe for the 10th anniversary next year, they'll just port Uprising to Switch. That would make me happy. I would actually really like that. I think that would be great. Playing Kid Icarus Uprising with uh, the Pro Controller, oh, that would be so much fun. Oh, yes, People please. forget, too. People forget, too. Kid Icarus Uprising also had really good online multiplayer. Just saying. That game's so good, man. Um, that uh, feels so anyway. like such a weird thing to say. It's The the game's great. At the, anyway, thank you all for having my TED Talk. That's been Kid Icarus. That was our number three. <laughs> um, so going into our number two, though, this one's interesting. So Nintendo did technically post something in regards to the 20th anniversary of the Nintendo GameCube on September 14th. However... It's the 20th anniversary of the GameCube, y'all. It should have been a huge deal. It should have been a blow-up. There should have been, you know, a GameCube game re-release or something. I'm not saying, you know, roll out the red carpet, GameCube's on NSO now, or whatever. But, like, something. Something more than a tweet. I mean, I'm glad we got a tweet at least. But this is the 20th anniversary of the Nintendo GameCube. This is what we're talking about here. Yeah, and the and 2021 is actually a fairly notable uh, anniversary for quite a few Nintendo consoles. It's, it's the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Advance, 15th anniversary yeah. of the Wii, and, and several other things. But yeah, the 20th anniversary of the GameCube, it is now a full actual human generation old. And it's arguably now more popular than it was when it came out. Time has been very kind to the Nintendo GameCube and many of its games. We actually had this uh, talk with Barry Carenza recently about how once, you know, once games or once consoles kind of hit that 20 year mark, they, they all of a sudden just spike in popularity because everybody who grew up with it Nostalgia. is now, yeah, is now grownups with their own paychecks who can go back yep. and re, you know, they can get that nostalgia hit. They can go back and re-experience all these things or maybe experience things they never got to as a kid in some respects. And Right. So, so okay. So, why didn't we get, for example, a port, a Switch port of Luigi's Mansion? You know what I mean? We got a 3DS Tell, like, port. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got years the 3DS ago. port years ago, right? Why not just take the bones of that and put it in the Luigi's Mansion 3 engine? And just re-release the first Luigi's Mansion to celebrate the 20th anniversary. That would have sold, like, gangbusters on Switch. Are you kidding me? Luigi's Mansion 3 sold extremely well. I spent a full three and a half years waiting on GameCube Virtual Console. Honestly, I spent a good three and a half years long after the, the Nintendo and Nintendo... Uh, long after the Nintendo and Super Nintendo, rather, NSO apps 
had had been a thing, I was still holding out hope for a GameCube virtual console because I, I I very much fit into that group. There were a ton of GameCube games that I never got the chance to experience. And there are uh, so many of them that I would love the opportunity to play. And right now, right now, 2021 feels like a great time to celebrate the Nintendo GameCube. That 20th anniversary is big. It means something. And it blows my mind that all we got was this just this passing oh yeah this is 20 years old now cool moving on yeah and i'm not even telling you i'm not saying give it to me for free i'm not saying give it to me as part of the expansion pack i will pay you for it yeah if you just simply throw i'm not even even if you don't want to do a full luigi's mansion like remake or whatever which would have been amazing but even if you just simply threw that original game on the switch eShop as a virtual console whatever you could have charged me whatever for it and i probably would have bought it same with thousand year door for example You know what I mean? You have this technology. We know you do because you did it with Super Mario Sunshine when it relates to 3D All-Stars. So it's possible to get GameCube emulation working on Switch. Just do it. It was the 20th anniversary. You should have just did it. Yeah, every once in a while, we get a GameCube game on the Nintendo Switch. We've actually gotten Ikaruga. Ikaruga's on the Nintendo Switch, if you didn't know. We have Super Mario All-Stars. We have... uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles on the Nintendo Switch remastered, but we do occasionally, every once in a blue moon, get a GameCube game on the Nintendo Switch, but there are still so, so many classics that really deserve to be re-experienced by the masses. And again, I just felt like this was a huge missed opportunity for Nintendo not capitalizing on the GameCube's 20th. I I could have sworn there was going to be a GameCube mini or some GameCube collection or, you know, maybe in a few years we'll get a GameCube NSO, I guess. Maybe, possibly, somehow. Probably not. But people are already whining about the uh, the current expansion pack. (laughs) But I mean, they could have used that as an excuse to re-release the GameCube controller like they did with, uh, with Smash. Back yeah. on uh, on Wii U. I mean, you, you could have made a lot of money this way. It it blows my mind. You know, just throw the ROMs up on the Switch eShop and we will buy it. And you'll you'll come out smelling like a rose because you're going to look like you're celebrating an anniversary. Because you would be at that point. It's just a bummer. You know, it's a bummer that all we got was a tweet. It is. It is. It is. But before we get into our number one, do we have some honorable mentions? We do obviously have some honorable mentions. There were actually quite a few really notable, uh, even outside of the major ones that have been celebrated this year, there were quite a few uh, unsung notable video game anniversaries this past year. We just, as a matter of fact, mentioned a game, Super Smash Brothers Melee. Super Smash Brothers Melee also celebrating its 20th anniversary that Nintendo did with Not the Best Picture for some reason, almost as if they didn't even realize it was the 20th anniversary of their own game. I don't even know where they got that picture. It's like this this gross, like, washed-out, faded picture. It looks like a photocopy of a photocopy that they posted on their official social media to celebrate the 20th anniversary of this game. It did, but you know what? At least they mentioned it. But yeah, uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee had their 20th anniversary this past November 21st. Also wanted to shout out the 40th anniversary of Galaga. I am a massive, massive Galaga nut. 
I actually used to be one of the top Galaga players on the planet, but what? Yeah, uh, back in the Xbox 360, they had uh, oh, like on leaderboards. That's yeah, cool. on the leaderboards. Yeah, I was one of I was on the short list of best Galaga players on the planet for several years. So I have nice. a ton of love for Galaga. Uh, the 23rd of August was the 30th anniversary of the release, the North American release, of the Super Nintendo. Ah, uh, who cares? And by proxy, <laughs> it was also the 30th anniversary of a little franchise called F-Zero. Yeah, that, that would have been, you know, a good fodder for, for the list proper. But I mean, let's be real. F-Zero hasn't had a game in like close to 20 years in itself. So, but I mean, still respect to F-Zero. Yeah, again, celebrating its 30th anniversary from the 23rd of August. Uh, another classic arcade game, uh, Frogger celebrated its 40th back in mm-hmm. June. I would actually really like to see... Th- there were some really interesting takes on the old-style Frogger back on the, the Game Boy Advance and the DS. I'm not talking about like right. the weird, grotesque PS2 3D platformers. <laughs> <laughs> right. There were some really interesting, like back on the PS1 and the Nintendo DS and kind of that around that time frame. There were some really interesting, unique takes on Frogger's classic gameplay that I would absolutely love to see expanded upon. But uh, yeah, Frogger celebrated its 40th. A rare classic, the Battletoads celebrated their 30th anniversary this past June the 1st. That would have been the perfect opportunity to do another um, situation where Xbox and Nintendo play nice together and we got the new Battletoads on Switch. That would have been the perfect opportunity to do that. That would have been pretty cool. I would have liked that. Would have, uh, I mean, we're going to get a little bit of rare love on the Nintendo Switch next month at least. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Yep. Uh, This past May 15th was the 15th anniversary of New Super Mario Brothers. So massive deal, massive deal. People forget how big of a deal that was. And I definitely wanted to shout that out because it has now been as long since the release of new super Mario brothers as it had been since Nintendo had done a 2d Mario game when that game came out. Oh my gosh. So it's about that time. (laughs) Yes. About that time from the release of Super Mario World back in 1991, it took Nintendo an, another 15 years to make a new core 2D platformer Mario game, and it has now been 15 years since that. So, whew, we're old, man. Yeah, well, we could that's probably that put a pin in that. That's something we could do a whole main discussion about at some point. What do we <laughs> want to see with a refresh on the 2D Mario formula? Because now it's about that time going by this math. It is about that time. <laughs> it is definitely about that time. And even though we have actually gotten a ton of love in this franchise, especially in the past few months, we haven't really, nobody's really celebrated the fact that this past April the 14th was Animal Crossing's 20th anniversary of their GameCube release. Another one where you can just throw the ROM up on the eShop. Yes, please. For the GameCube one, you know? New Horizons is massive. A lot of people would have gone back to the original just to see the origins of the series. Yep. This past March the 9th, we, as a matter of fact, uh, very strongly celebrated this silver anniversary with a retrospective. Go back and check that yes. out. This past March the 9th was the 25th anniversary of the iconic Super Mario RPG. Which is somehow still not on NSO. 
yeah, somehow still not in. They did put it on the the SNES Classic, the SNES right. Mini. Earthbound is also on the SNES Classic. So if you're still holding out hope for that, maybe try to track one of those down. I don't think they're too expensive online these days. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you can get away with one of those at, at a reasonable uh, rate. I do wonder if it's a if it's a matter of like when, not if, with those games finally coming or yeah. handshaking or value propositions or whatever. That's that's interesting. Yep. This past March the 5th was the 20th anniversary of Conker's Bad Fur Day. Dude, that was the one. That was the one for me when I saw this in, in this uh, this list of anniversaries where it was like that Saving Private Ryan gif. Where, <laughs> just like, immediately just getting old. old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon immediately turning into an old man. <laughs> that was totally... I cannot fathom that Conker's Bad Fur Day is 20 years old. Yeah. And it's closer oh to its gosh. 21st birthday already now. Holy moly. Old enough to actually drink. Yeah. But the last one I want to shout out, and we we did have a lot of honorable mentions, but there were just so many games that we felt deserved to be mentioned, at least, in this year of birthdays, in this year of anniversaries. There were a lot of notable games that had just gone under so many people's radars, and we would not have that here at all in a Nintendo podcast. And this la- will not stand. This will not stand. But the last one I'm going to shout out real quick is one very near and dear to my heart. This past February the 6th was the 30th anniversary of the arcade release of Street Fighter 2. Just it's a still, little game. Still got to be yeah, just a little game. Just a still little game. still got to be one of the best fighting, you know, fighting games ever made. I know, granted, I know it's been re-released a million times at this point, a million different versions. It's kind of like a thing, but yeah. still, got to tip your hat. Street Fighter 2 is when it comes to influence within a genre, right. You could argue that no game has influenced its genre more so than Street Fighter 2. Yeah, 1,000%. Yep. So, happy 30th birthday, you absolute icon. Yes, happy birthday, Street Fighter 2. But going into our number one, this will probably come as no surprise to people who have been listening to the show throughout the course of 2021. The number one most overlooked Nintendo anniversary in the year 2021 is the 40th anniversary of Donkey Kong. Come on, man. I mean, it really is. (laughs) On July 9th, 1981, Donkey Kong came out. And I mean, that game, you talk about an influential game. I'm not talking about a game that like set the groundwork for a bunch of like different series or whatever, but like it gave us Mario. You know what I mean? Like just that, that alone is a massive deal. Donkey Kong's influence is felt and and the it kind of created the Nintendo that we know today. Yeah. Even more so than the original Super Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong sort of laid the groundwork for today's Nintendo. Yeah, Donkey Kong's success is kind of what uh inspired Nintendo to say, okay, maybe there's something to this video game thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've watched some really good documentaries over the past year and a half, uh, High Score and, you know, stuff on Netflix and on Crackle. We actually interviewed one of the filmmakers behind the, the documentary. There's been some really interesting history lessons to come out about Nintendo, and a lot of it does wind up just coming back to Donkey Kong, and it astounds me. It's a total me. turning point. Yeah. astounds me, considering that 
They wanted to make such a big deal out of Mario's 35th. They wanted to make such a big deal out of uh, Samus's 35th. And of they tried to make a big deal, I guess, out of Zelda's 35th. But you have the 40th anniversary of the game and the cabinet that really sets you on your path to where you are now. And all we really got was a tease of a door at a theme park. Yeah. And I mean, we know that, um, we, we know that Seth Rogen's like voicing him in the Mario movie or whatever, but the reality is, is that we haven't seen a brand new Donkey Kong game since 2014 with Tropical Freeze. Tropical Freeze alone came out now almost eight years ago. That's insane. This is a prolific first-party Nintendo series that is getting a theme park expansion and is now 40 years old. And I, I will continue to, to talk about a new Donkey Kong game coming. It's absolutely coming. I just can't believe, A, I can't believe that they didn't even announce it this year in the 40th anniversary year. Like if it was, if COVID delayed the development, I'm sure it did, blah, blah, blah. At least announce it in the 40th anniversary year. At least like roll out the red carpet a little bit. And I think that that is the, the ultimate takeaway that, that I want you dear listeners to take away from this top five is treat your anniversaries with respect. You know, mark the distance. This stuff is important. Yeah, we want you to look at your game anniversaries the same way that Sega looked at Sonic's 30th anniversary. It was so great. And even like even something like Super Monkey Ball, you talk about GameCube. Yeah. You know, Super Monkey Ball, a launch title on the GameCube, they kind of rolled out the red carpet for that with Banana Mania and 20th anniversary merch. I mean, Donkey Kong got none of that. For shame. For shame. Five shame even. (laughs) Yeah. We we try to stay as positive as we can here on the show, but every now and then we got to call it like we see it. Yes. Bad Nintendo. Bad Nintendo. <laughs> Although, since this is the day of giving, it would make for a very nice gift in the near future, Nintendo, if you are so inclined. I'll take a late Christmas present. <laughs> I really will. I will too. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there were so many. I guess it's possible that maybe we missed one or two. If we did, let us know. If we missed any significant video game anniversaries from this past year, reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know how wrong we are. But uh, uh, speaking of Christmas presents, you know, we would like a late Christmas present in the form of a new Donkey Kong game. But speaking of Christmas presents, Seth, I have very, very fond memories. This is something that I've mentioned on the show back in our first episode, by the way about the vivid memory that I have of coming downstairs Christmas morning and seeing an original Nintendo Entertainment System playing on my TV. Oh, man. Eric, have I got a movie for you? I mean, we have to send the folks home this holiday, this Christmas, with a great Christmas movie. Who doesn't love watching an awesome, nostalgic Christmas movie? And I think that story right there totally taps into the movie we're about to be talking about. Right you are, Seth, because this past month on HBO Max, not only did we get a brand new Christmas movie, but we actually got a Nintendo-themed Christmas movie. So to really kick our Christmas episode into full gear, ladies and gentlemen, here is our review of 8-Bit Christmas. 
Every kid has that one gift they want more than anything for Christmas. This is the story of mine. Bookends? They have baseballs on them. I see that. No, not those. Nintendo. So 8-Bit Christmas, the new 2021 HBO Max release uh, starring Neil Patrick Harris, directed by Michael Dows of Take Me Home Tonight fame. Um <laughs> Hits the HBO Max streaming service and, and hey, turns out at the very heart of this movie is a Nintendo entertainment system. So, you know, we don't review movies often here on All In. In fact, we've only done it once before with the Mortal Kombat movie. But, you know, whenever we have the opportunity, it makes perfect sense. Who doesn't love a good Christmas movie, man? I mean, yeah, especially if you're gamers of a certain age, this movie is going to speak to you on a level here to thither unknown, oh essentially. Uh, we really couldn't not talk about 8-Bit Christmas this year, because if you're a gamer of a certain age, I mean, this was like Seth and I are, this movie essentially just feels like it was made for you, for us. You know, it feels like it was just Seth and Eric's childhood thrown up onto the big screen. Admittedly, a little bit more Seth's because in addition <laughs> to being from the late 80s and in addition to uh, the story essentially being about young kids and their quest to get an original Nintendo Entertainment System. Where is it set, Seth? It's also set in Chicago. Which, as, as you guys know, I was set in Chicago. <laughs> he was set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's I mean, this movie, it, it's funny. We were, when we were talking about this, you know, one of the comparisons, this movie takes inspiration from a ton yeah. of things that we love. I mean, th this movie is absolutely dripping with 80s nostalgia and influences. It takes the, uh, the, fr the narrative framing device of Princess Bride, yep. which... Is I think your is that just straight up your favorite movie? Yes, my number one full yeah. stop favorite movie of all time. Right. So I mean, it takes that framing device, it marries that with the the sort of like a Christmas story vibes, the wizard kind of vibes, you know, with some Ready Player One thrown in there. Oh sure, yeah. It's it's I mean, it's got plenty of that stuff, plenty of nostalgia, especially again if you're gamers of a certain age, if you grew up in the era that we grew up in. I mean. And and even like that that deeper level of like Chicago nostalgia is in there. We'll get into all of that. Um, but but I mean, I guess to to sort of like set up the story of Eight Bit Christmas, a lot of people probably know the the main character Jake Doyle uh, is played at least when we pick up the story by Neil Patrick Harris. Um, in the sort of modern day who has got a young daughter who is you know typical millennial kid obsessed with cell phones and social media and this that and the other the the kind of like story setup is there it's like um no you're not getting a cell phone for christmas uh let me tell you about you know this thing that i used to want when i was a kid and my quest when i was a kid to get an nes that's basically it's the movies told in flashbacks essentially yeah they show up at uh you know the grandparents house you know the holy grail of christmas locations right. um they show up at the, the grandparents' house and the father and the daughter, Neil Patrick Harris and his daughter in the movie, go upstairs to his old room and they find his NES, which has been beautifully preserved somehow. <laughs> Wonderfully preserved up in that room. Well done, Jake. But yeah, they go up there and they, they just start playing. They start playing Paperboy 
on the NES. He's got a couple games. He's got Rampage up there. He's got Paperboy. He's got a few classics. But uh, he starts playing it, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything kind of comes full circle. He's like, well, I got this. You know, this, mm-hmm. this you know, reminds me of my Christmas past. You know, so I kind of understand where you're coming from with your cell phone. So let me tell yep. you the tale, young one, of our quest to gain the Holy Grail, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And then it cuts to the the opening credits, the wonderfully little pixelated 8-bit Christmas title screen. And, you know, we're, we're right back there. I, I want to say I really do feel like the costumer, the costume designer took... Yeah, I want to say they took a couple of the costumes like straight off the Christmas story set and used them here. I mean, some of it definitely feels that way. And that that's actually I think a Christmas story is a really good comparison. And one of the things that I'm really curious about is like we we've already talked about. We'll we'll get more into this. But we've already talked about how much nostalgia is in this movie. Yes. And I do wonder it's impossible for you and I to remove ourselves from that because this movie is tailored to people like you and I literally. Um, so I do wonder if that, cause you know, you and I were talking, uh, before we started recording, like a Christmas story, you know, it's a classic Christmas movie. It's not my favorite Christmas movie. See, yeah, I'm not even, know? I'm not honestly even a big fan. I know for a lot of people out there that might seem blasphemous or something, but yeah, it just, it never really hit for me. I understand that it's a beloved Christmas movie, but for me, it just didn't hit, but this one did. And I, you know, yeah. even watching the movie, I was able to see so many of the parallels. I was able to see a lot of that Christmas story influence in this one. And it kind of made me wonder the same thing, whether or not it's just you had to be there kind of thing. Right. Right. Because our, you know, our parents grew up in that era that a Christmas story is set in. So that rings true for them. And that's why they love it. Whereas, you know, likewise, this movie grew up in the in the era that we, you know, is set in the era that we grew up in. So it rings true for us. And that's why we enjoy it. So, you know, I, I do wonder how like the older generation and the younger generation, people who are not in our exact bubble will receive this movie. I do wonder. I think that a lot of the like passion and the love for the stuff of the era is going to come through regardless. But I, I do wonder. I, I don't think it's going to hit quite as well if you're somebody who is younger and can't relate to this stuff or somebody who is older and can't relate to this stuff. Yeah, and I think that might be one of the biggest drawbacks to the movie is like it was so clearly made for a niche group of people. You know, us right. gamers that grew up that were young in the late 80s and early 90s, just us people who were so unabashedly enamored with Nintendo and video games when they were really exploding into popularity. Uh, because so, like, there's so much stuff in this movie that just rings almost uncomfortably true about my <laughs> childhood. Like, genuinely just rings almost uncomfortably true because a lot of the characters, a lot of the kids, I knew them growing oh, up. Oh, sure. I yeah, absolutely yeah. knew them. I had a bunch of friends. I had that pathological liar friend who's one of the characters in the movie, this hilariously pathological liar young boy. Uh, Everybody had that kid in their friend group, man. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody had just that weird, bizarre, really just the weirdo kid. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, most of them grew up to be billionaires. But, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, they just ate erasers and sniffed glue. (laughs) 
right and you know they, there's that there's that one kid on the block who got the nes like first yeah and like he there it basically has this huge like gathering <laughs> of people where he chooses 10 kids <laughs> to play they offer him gifts you know to allow like to be in the graces of watching him play it <laughs> you know? and i love one of the things about this movie is because because it's kind of being told from the perspective of children it's right. told in a lot of exaggerated tones. This is almost a live action cartoon. Yeah, there's some stuff that is like blown up to the again because you're seeing it through. I mean, this is how it felt to yeah. us when we were kids, you know? It it carries a cartoonish scale because you're seeing it through the eyes of a child. And uh, I, you know, even just beyond the cartoonishness, that was the late 80s in general, because I mean, if you if you lived in the 80s, if you grew up in the 80s, it was just kind of that decade was very extra, I guess, as the kids say. <laughs> so it, it does kind of feel like even as exaggerated, even as, you know, uh, even as hyperbolic as a lot of the. Uh, descriptions and a lot of the scenes in the in the movie are for some reason they still feel real it's like yep i remember sliding across the mall for like two minutes straight in a single motion <laughs> right <laughs> right totally that that yeah, absolutely that totally. happened <laughs> yeah but i i mean i think something too that that's kind of interesting about this movie is that they it's kind of nice that they're telling it through the like flashback perspective and similarly to how they do in a princess bride every now and then you have these kind of like touchstone moments where you're back in the present mm -hmm. um and i think with the use of the daughter they do a lot of kind of interesting things of like modernizing it like there there's a moment in the movie not to get like too into spoilers or whatever but there's there's a moment in the movie that deals with the humiliation of being a boy in the 80s wearing having to wear girl boots, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get a cut to the daughter being like, well, like, who cares? Like, why was that a big deal? And it's like, no, no, back then it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's stuff like that. Stuff like that that I think is kind of interesting. I, you know, while the biggest knock against the movie may be its setting and may be the audience it's appealing to, I do kind of like that there are little moments like that that kind of contextualize it for somebody who isn't in it, you know? Yeah, there was just, there's just so many little things that, I mean, it's based off of a book. Yeah, I didn't even know that until I had uh, done some research about it. Like, I didn't even realize it was based on a book. Yeah, it's based off of a book by Kevin Jakubowski. Mm -hmm. And the the way that they're able to present things in this movie, like this unlocked memories from my childhood that I didn't even know were still up there. <laughs> uh, th there's a scene that there's baseball cards in the movie and they take the gum out of the baseball card wrapper and they, oh, yeah. they just very briefly show that you know anybody who's ever eaten gum out of a baseball card pack of baseball cards knows that it's essentially dehydrated rock candy oh yeah and just showing that off for just a second there's a you know not to get too gross but there's a an anecdotal diarrhea song in there that when they started singing that in the movie <laughs> like i just like i grabbed both sides of my chair like oh like <laughs> like memory unlocked <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like in uh, an Inside Out. It's like core memory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's st- it's stuff like that. And I mean, we we touched on this a little bit before, but I mean, especially if you're somebody who grew up in this era in Chicago, have I got a movie for you, man? Because this <laughs> yeah, movie... I asked you about this because they do some oh weird stuff with. Uh... Uh, then obviously they mentioned the, the sports teams because Chicago, if you don't know folks, yeah. is a fairly big sports town. But they do also like there's apparently some some interstate rivalry. Oh yeah, it was so funny. There, there's a moment where the the dad, uh, played by Steve Zahn, is um. By the way, the first like 30 minutes of the movie, I thought it was Crispin Glover. I, I was like, <laughs> this movie's like, so Crispin? 80s. He thought he was watching Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, he he's totally like channeling that that vibe. But he's you know he's the dad who's like the handyman, but he never finishes any of his DIY projects. You know, he's always got something he's working on. You know, meanwhile Jake's wearing like this oversized Chicago Bears, you know, beanie throughout the entire film. And um, it's just so wonderful. He's drinking out of like one of those old uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, plastic cups that everybody had. It's all beat up, you know. And so it totally took me back, though, because there's a moment where they're uh, they're in traffic and the dad's yelling at some. Oh, of course, he's got Wisconsin plates, you know. Yeah, that's so accurate, dude. Like that's that's exactly what I I felt like I was in the back of my grandfather's car in that moment, just like listening to him yelling about people in Chicago hate people from Wisconsin. I don't know why. It's um, like oh the realness. Oh, the realness. And then it's like, you know, little things. Like, every Chicago family has a summer sausage in their fridge at Christmas. That's just true. <laughs> it, I think I think if you don't go and buy one, one actually manifests in your fridge. Um, you know, little stuff. He puts on a Jewel Osco, or a, sorry, a Jewel bag before it became Jewel Osco, a Jewel bag on his head at a certain point. And it's just like so much like Chicago nostalgia, man. That was so <laughs> cool to see. Made me so happy. It's almost as if like this author just kept all of these memories as little time capsules to reuse later on in this book and in this movie. Because there's just so many individual moments, just so many individual moments in this movie that I almost felt like were ripped from my own personal experience as well. And it's and it's honestly not even just a, a movie of moments. I was surprised to find out that this was actually a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie with like a good message to it. And relatable characters that I think are actually well cast and like well performed. By the way, the movie is not like rife with huge names or anything like this. I mean, we've said Neil Patrick Harris, who, you know, narrates and is in a handful of scenes. I mean, they probably had Neil Patrick Harris on set for like a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? By and large, it's mostly the the kid who plays young Jake Doyle. Who does a great job. He's great. Does a he's great, great They're job. All great. And he's perfect for the tone of the movie. That exaggerated kind of over-the-top uh, live-action cartoon. Yeah, the kid who plays young Jake, his name... This has got to be a screen name or something. His name is Winslow <laughs> Fagley. <or> Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's the, the young kid's name is Winslow Fagley, and... He does a really, really good job. A lot of the supporting cast is really admirable as well. But the kid they got to play young Jake, the main character of this movie, just fit in so 
perfectly with the the tonality and what was going on. I'm sure the kid didn't really understand and didn't have a lot of reference for what was going on. But I, I mean, credit to him. He delivered his lines incredibly well. He acted everything in, I don't want to say well necessarily because you know well implies like this was some deep emotional oscar worthy performance (laughs) or something but he acted everything as appropriately as i think he possibly could have he's he's got kind of a kind of a young Patton oswalt kind of vibe kind of i can see that yeah yeah Yeah, he's kind of you know he he's he's got these moments of like energy and exaggerated cartoonishness but he's also got this kind of like nerdy kind of doughy quality to him and you know, I um I really really liked him. He's he's a great lead, and then like the 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 actress who plays the little sister, mm-hmm. um, it just has just the perfect amount of just like your evil little sister who's like <laughs> conniving and you know, um again you mentioned the pathological liar kid, yeah. you know, just like just perfectly cast like one one of your best friends who also has like a sister that's hanging around, <laughs> you know. So the bully, the school bully. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Everybody knows that school bully who was eight, nine, ten years old, but you swore they shaved. Uh, yeah. Either that, or he was held back like eight years exactly, or something. Yeah. Like way bigger than everybody else. He he was totally like he was like a young Andre the Giant. Like he had that kind of vibe to him, but he's got the metal head, the long hair, and the ripped jeans. You know. <laughs> and even going back to the sister, though, the whole thing of, you know, no, we're not going to get you a Nintendo. Now help us find your sister what she desperately wants for Christmas. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like I had to stop the movie and stand up and just walk around like the the anger, the 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 oh man. It's like I felt that in my bones, inside the marrow of my very body. I felt that. It's like why? Yeah. I can't have, but she can. Why? We're, we're older brothers, man. We're older brothers. We 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 have been there for sure. It's like, hang on. She gets the Cabbage Patch Kid doll? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I understand Nintendo is slightly more expensive than a Cabbage Patch doll, but just the whole principle of uh, your younger sister is going to get what she wants because we don't want to have to deal with her and you don't get what you want because they don't have any money left after they get what. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Ugh. A lot of things in this movie ring true, man. Like, like a lot of it rings true, but I mean, yeah, the, the movie itself though, I will say like, I, I really appreciated the way they handled the ending of the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I really liked that a lot. I, I like the place. I like the overall message of the movie quite a bit. Um, it really resonated with me in a way that I wasn't expecting. So again, it would have been enough. Like the movie could have gotten away with just being like a cameo fest or just being like a total nostalgia trip, which it is. But like, as you mentioned, it's an actually good movie at the end of the day with an actually good message, you know, to to say at the end of it, which I which I appreciate. Yeah, the ending really encapsulates, I think, what a lot of the things that I was really surprised about when it comes to 8-Bit Christmas. When I heard that this movie was coming out, my initial gut reaction, especially after being burned by so many other video game-centric movies, video game adaptations, and so many movies about the video game industry in general being just, frankly, terrible. 
I was just kind of expecting this to be on the same level as that new Home Alone movie they just released for some reason. I was kind of expecting them to be of similar quality. And for all intents and purposes, it kind of should have been. But the director understood the tone. The story itself was cartoonish but still grounded in such real experiences that it felt real and it felt genuine. They were able, the casting director was able to get the perfect people to portray these kids uh, for the, you know, for the tonality of the movie. And then the end of the movie, which could have very easily been, you know, this formulaic color by numbers ending to a movie. Like it, it, it absolutely should have been from, from all angles, it should have been that type of movie. But yeah, you get to the ending, and there's a couple pretty nice surprises there at the end. Yeah, it's it could even be, I, I think that honestly, again, because so much of the movie is told through that exaggerated, we've used the word cartoonish a couple of times, like that that exaggerated kind of tone. When you get to the end and it's sort of a gut punch of like realism, and it's sort of a gut punch of, of like an, an actual message. Like the movie has something to say, you know? Um, and, and I appreciated that about it because it didn't need to. It didn't need to say anything. It could have just been all fun all the time. And, and you know, it, it is for 99% of the film. But but I really appreciate that the movie was brave enough to, um, to, to give a good message by the end of it. I really appreciated uh, that. Yeah. And there was a, uh, I'm not going to spoil what it was, but there was kind of a big fake out at the end of the movie. Yes. That it, it got me. And I was like, if this is actually what's about to happen, like my opinion of this movie just plummeted. Yes. Like if that's actually how they're going to resolve all this, that my, my heart just kind of sounds like, please don't, please don't. And then they didn't. And then they did something even better than what I was expecting. Like, bravo, bravo. That's, and I think that was by design, like to have that moment in there, I think is by design. And I think it elevates it so much more. Like they, they made the right decision at every turn with this movie. And I'm not saying that this is like, you know, nominate this for the Academy Award. I'm not saying that. It's no. not, you know, it's not an instant, you know, it's, cr- it's not Spider-Man classic. No Way Home. No, it's not Spider-Man No Way Home. But <laughs> it's a really good, super nostalgic Christmas movie. And I, I can totally see this being in my Christmas movie rotation you know, if I, this, this is my Christmas story. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, as we've mentioned a couple times before, this movie was clearly made for us, for those of us who grew up on the NES. There's so many references from that time and from that console. Uh, genuinely, one of my favorite things in the movie is just, uh, I won't tell you what leads up to this, but when Jake just runs past, just screaming, he's like, shut up, Nintendo. that was the great yes that was one of the greatest lines in the movie for me i was absolutely dying but uh, as much as this movie was made for us a lot of younger people may kind of have the same reaction that seth and i kind of have to a christmas story but right i would genuinely say watch this with your sons and daughters i think this could help you explain to them what you were like when you were their age. 
I think it kind of I I think it sort of humanizes a little bit because when you when you're a kid, you know, you sort of look at your parents as like, oh, like they were never like me. They were never, you know, they they never saw the world the same way I see it. But, you know, we did. And I think that if you were to show this to your kids or whatever, maybe they wouldn't get all the references, but they they would understand like, hey, like actually they saw the world like this too once. They're not just these larger than life people who have just always been old their entire life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hopefully a lot of the younger, uh, hopefully a lot of our younger listeners, if you choose to watch it, you'll start to see a lot of the parallels within your own life. And that's another one of the things about the movie that just rings true is I know a lot of the things that we see in the movie are direct callbacks to things from our specific experiences of our generation and our childhood, but a lot of the things in the movie are kind of still universal. So totally hopefully through the scope of this movie about a Nintendo entertainment system and getting one for Christmas. I mean the, the, the holiday season Christmas season is supposed to be all about togetherness. It is supposed to be all about family and maybe this can help a gamer family. Maybe this can help, create some understanding, you know, between generations. Yeah. I think, I think this is a great one to watch with your family this holiday on HBO max. Now, before you watch this, I mean, head over to Disney plus and watch them up at Christmas Carol. Cause it's the greatest. It's Christmas so movie good. Ever made. Oh my God. It's but, so amazing. <laughs> but no, this, this is totally, this earns its spot. I think in your rotation and, uh, and just a, just a great, Especially, you know, for Nintendo fans, for people in, in our age bracket, which I think a lot of our listeners are, are about our age, I, you know, watch it for yourself, share it with your family. I think everybody's going to have a good time. Yeah. Now, to be fair, it's not a perfect movie. I wouldn't, you know, no, there's a lot no. of movies that I wouldn't rate it above, even as Christmas movies, but it was a very pleasant surprise. I do totally. think the middle kind of dips a little bit. It does, you know. The, the movie needs to the, the movie kind of loses its pace there in the middle a little bit. The score, honestly, I couldn't even remember the score. And there were a couple no, moments no. that, you know, <laughs> that I think they could have left out. But overall, I went into 8-Bit Christmas with absolutely zero expectations and was very, very pleasantly surprised. Yes, again, the movie was made for us, but that still wouldn't have changed if I thought it was a bad movie, I'm not going to like right. something just because it's speaking directly to me. Uh, and this movie just, again, fired on almost every cylinder. So well done. Well done. Bravo. I really liked it. I almost, I, I kind of just want to watch it again. It's just fun. <laughs> it is fun. And for me, and maybe if I ever have kids, maybe Seth, if you ever have kids, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that could be, our thing with our kids. Yeah, totally. And if you've seen the movie, maybe you understand that. But speaking of seeing it, have you seen it? Have you checked out HBO Max's brand new Neil Patrick Harris Christmas vehicle, 8-Bit Christmas? Did you get a Nintendo for Christmas back when you were a kid? I did. <laughs> Let us know your Nintendo Christmas stories. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. Join the conversation with us and all of our friends over on Discord. Follow us at YouTube.com slash All In Podcast, at Twitch.tv slash All In Podcast, and do actually follow the podcast itself. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and 
Podchaser. And for those of you listening on iTunes, Spotify, and Podchaser, do please, if you feel so inclined, drop a review, drop some words, as Seth likes to say. Those uh, five-star reviews do very much help us with visibility. And especially going into the next year, we are looking to do even bigger and better things with All In, a Nintendo podcast. But guys, like every other week, we just want to thank you all so much for hanging out with us each and every Saturday. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this Christmas and making us part of your end of the year rotation. Namaste. Yes, man. What a great year it has been. And I, I honestly like, so the, the show's grown so much over this past year and on onward and upward, man. Again, the reviews help us so much with visibility to continue to grow this thing together. And we just, we love and appreciate you all, but uh, we're already, I mean, look, it's Christmas Day, and we certainly hope everybody's having a Merry Christmas. We hope you got all the presents you wanted. Yes. We hope you're hanging out, watching 8-Bit Christmas, eating candy canes, drinking cocoa, and all that. But, I mean, we already, Eric and I are prepping, even as we speak, for the Game of the Year discussions happening next week. Yes, we are. This is the final episode of 2021. The next time we see you guys next Saturday will be... New Year's Day 2022, and we have played so many games this year. We are going to kick the new year off right by celebrating the absolute greatest from this Mm -hmm. past year in gaming. Guys, make sure to be back here same time next week in 2022 when we count down the best Nintendo games of 2021. But until then, I have been the Eric of Christmas Future. And I have been Seth Actually. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2022. We love you all very much. Bye. Noisemaker sounds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm eager for you to see a humorous Donkey Kong by Seth Sun.